Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to the voice gate for august 12th 2021 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you would like to donate to the show just click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you set up a one-time or recurring donation no obligation whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside my friend and co-host Case Lowe. And Case, we are now officially in this new era, and how are you doing? Well, Mike, it always feels good to be right. It always feels good to be able to start the show with a victory lap. And longtime listeners of this program will know, they won't have to go back into the archives and re-listen to anything. They will know off the top of their dome. What have we been saying for weeks now, Mike Spears? We've been saying going into Kobe World and Speedstar Final, Yamato is going to win the Dreamgate belt. And who's going to challenge him at Dangerous Gate 2021, his first defense of the Open the Dreamgate title? Some combination of Kai, Masaki Mochizuki, or Ben K. We've been saying it for months, and my God, Mike Spears, it feels so good to be right. Right, yeah, I mean, clearly the no-ropes lumberjack match would not be enough to finish this feud. I mean, especially with Yamato having the title. The feud must continue. The feud must continue, and it must continue in a triple threat match with Benkei and Masaki Mochizuki. We've said it before, we'll say it again, this is the direction we knew things were going. And man, uh, I'll tell you what, you take a victory lap like this, Mike, these only come along once in a generation. I'll do one in five years when SB Kento is ruling wrestling, but for now... 
let's just soak in for a moment that we nailed the Dreamgate booking and, and, and it feels really good, Mike. Absolutely. You know, it's a nice little maybe victory sprint we have. You know, Kota Minora, of course, he's just going to be off doing nothing. I mean, why wouldn't he? I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to go on with Kai and Benkei and Misaki Mochizuki. I mean, that the, there's that the, he'll have his time in the future. But for right now, we need to have this triple threat match decide the first Dreamgate challenger in the post Masato Yoshino era. Well, it's not like Coach Minora beat Masaki Mochizuki in a singles match or anything. So he really has no leg to stand on when it comes to challenging for the Dreamgate belt. And it's not like he has a direct pinfall over the current Open the Dreamgate champion. I mean, yeah, he, no, he has no, no if claims. No, no, he did that, if, if he had that, had he beaten, hypothetically, of course, Yamato, hypothetically beaten Yamato, and then a month later pinned Masaki Mochizuki clean two years after his debut to put a bow on that story, and then beat Ata on the biggest show of the year, I would say, yeah, that guy feels like he deserves an open the dream gate championship shot. I actually think it should be him. And I think that would be a bold statement for dragon gate to make in a post Masato Yoshino era. But obviously that did not happen. He didn't beat Yamato no. Mochizuki or Ata in direct succession. So it's a, it's a moot point. Of course uh, he will be off in an eight man tag and that'll be the end of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, just as planned, just as planned. It's what we've been talking about. And like I said, it feels good to be right. <laughs> so weird first week post Masato Yoshino just uh put a bow on this but we have a full week of shows to talk about they were in Osaka on August 9th then they had their first Corkin of the Gate of Adventure series on the 11th that's part of the reason why we're it's a Corkin week we like to wait until we can cover cork in here and we've got a lot of topics case that we're going to go over this week uh the brave gate scene the dream gate scene uh the dragon gate future uh the new general manager rio saito so case pick your choice how do you want to start off this week's show i think we could do two birds with one stone here because i i, I want to start with what i feel like is the hottest topic in dragon gate right now and it's the first time in many many years we've been able to say this but the open the brave gate scene to me is the thing to talk about this week. SB Kento was your Open the Brave Gate champion. I actually did correctly predict that he would beat Kagatora in Nagoya last weekend. Then the day after that, Kaisuke Akuda challenged him uh, for the Open the Brave Gate championship. Chaos ensued, and we now have no Open the Brave Gate champion. Hey, first week on the job, Ryo Saito's doing fine. He's doing a great job. He's not flustered at all. He's not, uh, he, he has all the clothes he needs. He's timing her things out while well. he's doing fine. But yeah, this open the Brave Gate scene, it started at going into Kobe World and Speed Star Final. Very stable scene. Keisuke Akuda just had to get through Ginky Horiguchi, then Kakatora. That didn't happen. So we, we've had three different champions on three shows, and now it is vacant. Uh, the, uh, what is the date for the Osaka 2 show in September, guys? Do, do you have it all in front of you right now? I thought I did, and I do not, but I can get it real quick because there's there's I a, just a trivia. You, what, what's, what's the date there? September 11th, 2021. September 11th, 2021, and that will be headlined by Akuda versus SB Kento for the now vacant Open the Brave Gate Championship. I want to break this feud down 
piece by sure. piece for just a second, because I think you can attest to this too. This got some buzz, at least in our bubble. There were people asking us about the Bravegate scene and specifically what happened on this Osaka show that, you know, follow the promotion to some extent, but aren't necessarily diving in to your Osaka number twos or your Kobe Sambo halls or your Fukuoka shows. They're, they're Korkin viewers, they're big five viewers, and that's their level of interest in the company. I felt like a lot of eyes were on this Bravegate scene and this Okuda Espinketo match in particular. And I just want to make sure that everything that happened here has been digested because this is some of my favorite storytelling and wrestling in a very long time. I'm not saying it's the best, but personally, what I enjoy in wrestling, this story is delivering with everything I like. So Kagatora wins the belt from Horiguchi at Speedstar Final on August 1st. August 8th, he goes in uh, and SB Kento challenges him. SB Kento wins and then gets into a super heated confrontation with Kaisuke Akuda. Ryo Saito, who is the new GM, as Mike just alluded to, he says, this is great. They have so much heat between them. Let's keep that heat going. Let's put them in the opening match tomorrow. Osaka number two, open the Brave Gate Championship. The match, which I, I, I would like to talk about in just a second, the match goes five minutes. It ends in a double disqualification after both men, or I guess after Kaisuke Akuda rather, attacks the referee and per open the Brave Gate rules for a while now. If there is a no contest, the belt is vacated and we have some form to crown a new champion. The, the, you know, at times it's been a brave gate tournament at times, a Dr. Muscle has appeared and resurrected the title here. It's going to be a rematch next month. Rio Saito, the new GM comes out and says he admits he made a mistake. He's the new GM. He's new to this job. He thought, Hey, wouldn't it be great to keep this heat going and put them in the opening match? He now realizes it was too much heat and that he made a mistake. So he's going to give them a month to cool off. Next month, September 11th, 2021, in Osaka, Japan, headlining Osaka number two, Bodymaker Coliseum. It's the Open the Brave Gate title match, Kaisuke Akuda versus SB Kento. I think this has been perfectly executed. And it's something that really, when first. SB Kento got this match, this title match. I was like, I think SB Kento's kind of above this at this point. Like, he is someone that, I mean, the supernova, I mean, there's not enough uh, plaudits you could throw towards him for his first two years of wrestling. But he's exactly what the Bravegate kind of needs after the Okuda title reign, his first title reign, at least. Just kind of petered out. Yes, there were some solid matches with UT and Kagator, but there was just a lot of just kind of people who are not. I, I mean, Giki Horiguchi, bless his heart, he's not going to have a Keisuke Akuda Bantam match. However, SB Kento, he is more than willing to. And the 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 way that they've built this from having the the, the belt being a hot potato for a week and then. Looking like it could be stable, because you look at SB Kento, you're like, all right, the belt's going to stick on a while. But then Keisuke Akuda, the angriest man alive, is just not happy and challenging and going from there. And the way that they've built this up, even on the Corkin show, it's provided a lot of life and a division in the company that I was kind of a little down on uh, going into the doubleheader at Kobe 
world Ken and Hall, but no, it's a it's an interesting thing. It gives something for SB Kento to do. It seems like that this is the station for Keisuke Akuda right now, and you know just the way that they've kind of overall the storyline is that Ryo Saito might be in over his head because he's had because he's having water and nitroglycerin in the same room and they're exploding at each other. It, it's great stuff and. The five minutes they had and all the interactions they've had since that Bravegate uh, no contest have been excellent stuff. It, it's been incredibly exciting, and it's really provided life again to a division that kind of needed it because it just did not seem like that first tile reign for Keisuke Akuda ended the way that, or it went through the way that we anticipated. On a personal level, the hot potato of the Bravegate belt does not bother me. If we go back to the Toriyaman day, so we're looking at roughly 21, 22 years, they've never done this before. They have a real good track record of, uh, at times, maybe not valuing titles to their most extent, but at the very least, respecting these titles. I don't mind a secondary title jumping around like this once, uh, you know, every 20 years. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to give this the thumbs up. Doesn't bother me there. And you said it right there. You know, Genki Horiguchi could not have a Kaisuke Akuta match, but SB Kento, and I have raved about him since he debuted at the end of 2019. I said, this guy could be the next Yamato. And one of the interesting aspects of Yamato's game, especially early in his career, was how well he performed on the mat. Yamato has an MMA background. To my knowledge, SB Kento does not. But holy shit, did SB Kento show me something new in this match? Because even... On the biggest stage, even if you look at that unit disbands R.E.D. versus Toriyaman Generation match from December of last year, S.B. Kento was the top heel in that match. He's the man that ran everything. But his viciousness was done with a grin. It, it was... He was taking glee almost in the punishment he was dishing out on the Toriyaman Generation this was a whole new side of him that we have not seen yet. This was a different SB Kento than the man that feuded with Dragon Kid for all those months. He was head down, focused. He needs a mouthpiece if he doesn't have one. Fight starter with Kaisuke Akuda. And what Jay said on this podcast a few weeks ago when we had him on, and if you haven't listened to our interview with Jay, I highly recommend going back and do it. If you're listening to this show, guess what? It's in the same podcast feed. But Jay said something that shook me to my core because I've speculated for a few months now about SB Kento, as crazy as it sounds, being a year and a half into his career, possibly being in the Dreamgate picture, not necessarily saying he's going to win the belt, but saying, you know, he, he could realistically challenge for the Dreamgate belt. And Jay said if he was three inches taller, he'd be champion already. Obviously, that's pure speculation. But when he said that, it was every bit of confirmation I needed that S.B. Kento is over in Japan. He's over with me. He's the most talented prospect in wrestling. He has the brightest future in anyone in wrestling under the age of 25 right now. And think of the ground that covers. And he is showing yet another aspect of his game with Kaisuke Akuda. It's unbelievable, Mike. There's nothing he can't do. There's no hurdle that he hasn't been able to clear. And he's a year and a half into his career. And on top of all that, though, the one hole in his game, like if we were going to say like what tools you need to be a to be an ace at Dragon Gate, it is presence. It is charisma. Two different things. Presence and charisma are two different things. Microphone skills, emotion and ring work. 
the ring work was the thing that was not a 80 grade if we were going to fully do the whole baseball five tools thing 80 yes for people who don't follow the baseball it is weird the highest score you get to someone's skill is an 80 but it works on standard deviations so but i think that keisuke akuda is the perfect person in this scenario for him because what we saw out of him at ed on two and what we've seen in the interactions there it's kind of what he needs is someone to kind of push him into the viciousness and kind of get him out of like being competent but you know not amazing into like taking that step up here because this five minute match was just like pull apart just vicious brawling and it wasn't just like having a Keisuke Akuda match it was seeing this new dimension of SB Kento that really elevates that tool of ring work to a level that it needs to be and that was like the next step for him so as someone who still kind of thinks that Bravegate you know SB Kento this guy was in the final four of King of Gate he uh, if it wasn't for hip hop Kakuda landing the hand of guard, he the hand of God, he would have clean swept the uh, people that have been around since the Torimon age. But he was able to step in here and do it. And I think that even though that this is kind of a pit stop for him towards his ultimate goal, I think this is going to benefit him immeasurably in the future. This match, this opening match that went to a no contest, it felt hot. It felt like a big deal. It's really hard to quantify this stuff. This might be an eye roll inducing statement to some people, and I cannot knock them. If you roll your eyes at this, I get it. I understand that we're 18 months into clap crowds here, and this is how you have to quantify things. But I do think this building specifically used to be Bodymaker Coliseum. Now it's Edeon, the number two Osaka arena. I think this has been the hottest Drangate clap crowns there has been. There's no there's no possible way to compare what we're getting in Osaka to a real actual crowd, but I do think compared to Fukuoka and Corican Hall and the big venues they've run and even Sambo Hall in their home base in Kobe, I think the Osaka crowds have consistently been the most engaged in the product these shows in osaka number two this match felt big and i think the match next month is going to feel like a huge deal and mike i want to throw a trivia question at you one that i'll be really really impressed and also uh slightly disappointed just because it will mean that we spend far too much time uh with drangate occupying our brains if you're able to get this right <laughs> okay but th- think about the open the brave gate championship think about osaka Edeon number two in not counting Champion Gate matches, because every year in March, Dragon Gate runs Champion Gate two nights. They put a Brave Gate match and a Triangle Gate match on one night, a Dream Gate match and a Twin Gate match on the other night. The last time the Open the Brave Gate Championship was defended in this building on a non-Champion Gate show, do you know when it was? I think it was Tazawa's brave gate run the uh, quote-unquote uh eternal brave gate run in 2015 that was my thought as well but if you recall that was champion gate in osaka 2015 that was tozawa versus kz and then uha nation's farewell versus bb hulk the next night mike the last time the open the brave gate championship was defended in the smaller osaka building was November 19th, 2011. This is on a non-Champion Gate show. It was November 19th, 2011, Ricochet versus Pac. That is how long it's been (laughs) since this building has had an out 
of uh, out of characteristic, not calendar scheduled, open the Bravegate Championship match. It's been 10 years. And SB Kento is the right man for the job. Just for uh, a fun purpose, the last time a title was defended in this building on a non-champion gate show was 2017. It was July of 2017, a triangle gate match with Shingo L. Lindemann and Takashi Yoshida winning the triangle gate belts from Ben K, Big R, Shimizu, and Naruki Doi. Okay, this building is consistently a great audience for Dragon Gate. They always draw a nice house here. And they realistically have not been given the big stuff outside of Champion Gate for many, many years now. It's been 10 years since a non-Champion Gate Brave Gate match took place in this building. It was Ricochet versus Pac then. It's SB Kento versus Kaisuke Akuda now. I am locked in on this feud. Uh, and it's something that I think coming out of it, they'll decide the 43rd Open the Brave Gate champion on September 11th. I'm kind of talking myself into the idea that if they're going to be willing to headline one of their bigger cities with this Bravegate match for the first time in 10 years to do so, and the first time that they've been doing this here, I think it's kind of like a smart thing because now you're, you're, you're kind of testing the waters on with SB Kento up top. You know, is that unrealistic for me to say that it's like, oh, now you could go say like, oh, yeah, we could go have one of the triple shot in December in Hokkaido. And one of those nights could be SB Kento versus KZ for the Brave Gate. No, not not unreasonable at all. It's the same logic I used with him winning the belt in Nagoya. They're not going to beat him in a title match at his hometown at this point in his career. And I don't think they're going to have him lose a headlining match. Uh, that will end up becoming his first extended singles title run. At this point, things could change. At this point, uh, all of my chips are going towards SB Kento winning that match. I would be disappointed just from a booking standpoint with the way Dragon Gate does things. I would be disappointed if they went back to Okuda. And I also just think the momentum and everything else is pointed in SB Kento's direction. Oh, I'm totally with you here. So, Case, we're, t- we're talking about the future. And unless you have any other Brave Gate thoughts i think it's a good time to transition here but we're talking about the we're talking about the future here and the future will be ahead of us and it'll be in front of us as we will have the first official debuts of the 2021 uh, dragon gate rookie class at dangerous gate as the ihashi brothers riki and ishin will go up against don fuji and yazushi kanda and it's something that Again, the episode with Jay from a few weeks back, we talked a little bit about this, but it's really fascinating because of the other elements that are at play, in my opinion, with the Ahashi brothers. Yeah, Jay covered this to a tremendous degree, and it was it was maybe, you know, J- Jay dropped a lot of knowledge in that interview, and I thought his point about second-generation wrestlers, Strong Machine Jay, or now the Ahashi brothers being able to keep their their father's sponsorships uh, and the revenue that that can bring to them was a very, very interesting point. And this is something new for the Dragon system. We've seen it with Strong Machine J, and we'll talk about him a little bit later on in this episode as he returned in Cork and Hall this past week. You know, But we've seen the iteration of the Dragon from Ultimo Dragon to Dragon Kid to Dragon Daya, but this is a first. The second-generation wrestlers hitting Dragon Gate, I'm very, very excited for their debut match in September. And it's not just a first in Dragon Gate. They really are building this as 
this is in Japan, the first ever what they're calling thoroughbred pro wrestlers because it's not just the fact that their father, uh, uh, Koji Ishinriki, was a pro wrestler and a sumo. It's the fact that their mother as well, Utako Hozumi, who was an LLPW, did as well. So it's the first time in Japan, at least that's how they're building it, the first time that we are seeing we are seeing sons who are that both their parents are pro wrestlers and also Ishan and Ricky's brother is a pro wrestler and Kochi Ishiriki he made it pretty far into sumo like he was not top level sumo but he was the one right below it so it's not just pro wrestling sponsorship money it's also possibly also sumo sponsorship money which is a completely different ball game we're talking about at that point and it's exciting and it's something that the future project has been going on now since the since December of last year, and we're starting to see this here. And now they're bringing them out of Kobe. Originally, it was just in Kobe, but now they're starting to bring everyone around here. And we're probably going to be seeing a bunch of debut official debut matches. And the fact that they're putting the Ihashi brothers debuting at Dangerous Gate, that just underline it a couple times. An exclamation point because that is something that is utterly remarkable. I mean, talk about how SB Kento's uh, rise has been. SB Kento was in the pre-show match as Kento Kabune last year at Dangerous Gate. Yeah, I'm really excited about these two kids just because it's something different. You know, you think about all of these successful debuts that Dragon Gate has had, not only in the past few years, but this is something they've been known for is guys hitting the ground running and being, you know, immediate successes. A lot of the time in Drangate, I, I think we have to reevaluate re the way we look at these rookies where so many of them come out strong. And then you have to look at not months one, two, and three, but months four, five, and six, that, that, uh, that very accelerated sophomore slump that sometimes Drangate wrestlers fall into to really evaluate them. And if they come out of that, great, they'll be successful. If they don't, you know, maybe they become a, a Hyo type, a Katoka type guys that are perpetually on the undercard. But the Ahashi brothers are very, very exciting to me. They are the, the premier athletes in this future class. If you've seen any of the Drangate future matches that are on the Drangate network and they're all there, uh, these are probably the guys you've seen because they were the guys that debuted in this class. And I think this whole deal is fascinating. We have an article up on the Open the Voice Gate Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Uh, it links you to a Tokyo sports article, which is obviously in Japanese, but with any web translator, you can quickly translate it and make out what they're saying. Ricky Ihashi aspires to be like Gran Hamada. And if you have ever listened to this podcast, you know that is a good way for me to immediately respect you. I'm into these kids. I'm into their looks because Ricky Ihashi God bless him. He is an ugly, ugly man in the context <laughs> of the dragon system. Now, walking around the streets of Kobe, walking around the streets of Fukuoka, I'm sure he's a fine gentleman. But this is Drangate. This is where male models go to wrestle. And in the context of this promotion, he is one ugly motherfucker. And I think that is going to work to his advantage throughout his entire career. You know who he kind of reminds me of in that way and they couldn't put the mask on him faster? Shun. 
this this is very true unfortunately 2016 drangate is not on yeah. the drangate network because I, I would like to revisit some of that stuff at some point of shun watanabe for newer newer fans might not even realize you know whereas dragon daya came in with this really hype debut and he was dragon daya from the start of his career shun skywalker fellow masked wrestler did not debut masked he debuted as shun watanabe next to hyo watanabe which was incredibly confusing for a few months and it wasn't until a few months into his career that shun put on the mask and you know that gear was rough from the start but it was like hey at least we don't have to look at his face this seems like a positive yeah and it's something that there's one thing that i and this is just an aside Please put up information about the Dragon Gate Future Kids, please. It is impossible to kind of determine like which one is which because they don't have that they don't get screen bugs when they come out because it's exhibition matches. They don't list them in the results, and you have to like crawl through certain things and you have to be able to hear hear exactly right who is who is who and what situation there. But yeah, it, it's something that like I started calling the class of 2016 W2N just because it made my life a whole lot easier. But it's It'll be interesting to see, like, I feel like very clearly they're going to run them as a brothers kind of tag team for a little bit, and they should. But it'll be interesting to see, like, obviously they're going to capitalize on the fact that they are built as pro J- Japanese pro wrestling's first ever thoroughbreds. But it'll be interesting to see, like, how they position them, like, past that. Because they've had a very distinctive way of doing things before 2016. And then 2016, pretty much the presence, you kind of are debuted fully formed especially for like dragon dia strong machine j and others on the the roster but you don't get the sense with the futures that they are going to continue doing that as well but please just just like put their names and and the colors of their tights in the results please it drives me insane trying to look for these things where my notebook i have to i've crossed out names so many times for the futures matches just because we don't have those well, and, and to his credit, Jay has been doing a better job of identifying them. And he, he for both the oh, Osaka sure. show and then the Corkin show, I, I was able to tell who everybody was. Uh, so if, I guess for those that, that don't know, uh, on the Osaka show from August 9th, we had a future match with Ricky Ihashi and Takuma Fujiwara. And then on the Corkin show, we had the other Ahashi brother, Ishin Ihashi. He wrestled Takumi Hayakawa. And those futures matches, they were both five-minute exhibitions. There was another kid that has debuted on uh, on future. His name is Ryu Fuda, and he has at least one match on the network, maybe two. And, and Mike, am I making this number of six up in my head, or is there another future kid that we haven't seen yet? There is. I remember seeing him. I'm, I don't have my old notebook ahead of, in front of me, but I do remember seeing another futures kid in at least 2020, maybe. Uh, I mean, like, the, the problem about this was that the Futures Project was originally only Kobe Sambo Hall related, and they would put them up distinctly separate from it. So this is, like, the first time that they actually are a part of the full show feed. So it, it's something that, like, yeah, no, there's six, and there's... I'm trying to remember the number that I heard that combined with the Futures kids, I think that the number that, that I've heard thrown around is somewhere between a dozen and 15 right now. Yeah, I don't know why I have six future kids in my mind, but I feel like that's something that somebody told me at some point. So that's the number that I've been running with in my head. It's hard to analyze these matches for a while. When the Future Project first launched, we were talking about them on the network, and those matches were really 
more shooty grapply style, whereas the matches here in Osaka and the match at Korokan uh, were just uh, your classic young boy style. They were very recognizable in what they were doing, very basic, lots of fire. I, I will say, I, I thought everybody showed their worth. I, I think on the Osaka show, you know, like I said, Ricky Ihashi has a very distinct face is, is certainly one way of saying it. I think that is going to do him wonders in this company. Whereas his opponent that night, who was uh, Takuma Fujiwara, I think he's very handsome. I think he's very expressive. I think he's very charismatic. He jumped off the screen for me. I liked the work that he did there. And then on the Korokan show, you have Ishini Hashi, who comes across like a big dude. I don't know how big he actually is. I, I don't know any of his measurements, but he he carries himself like a big dude. And then you have Hayakawa, who was just this spunky shit kicker, who is going to be a thorn in the sight of everybody on this roster for years to come. Hayakawa is my guy. Like uh, that, it, that is a incredibly <laughs> on brand. If you know Mike Spears, you could point to Hayakawa as soon as he did that running corner drop kick in his future match at Corgan Hall. Mike Spears clicked his pin and said, "That's my guy. I'm writing this in the notebook right now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he's the one that has what, at least in the South, what we call a chili bowl haircut. I don't know what y'all call it <laughs> up in the that's plains. That's not a northern phrase, my friend. We we, we don't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a bowl cut. He has a bowl cut haircut. But yeah, no, it's called chili bowl. But yeah, no, it's really exciting, and it's something that you look at. I I was doing a list of this. You look at who all they've debuted debuted since basically the this 2016 class, and you look up and down the roster, and Sora Fujikawa is on his way back, and uh, it's just, like, insane. Like, it, there's a very big disparity kind of when you watch these shows of, oh, wow, these kids. And you can even include, like, Ata in this because Ata hasn't turned 30 yet. So you have, like, all these wrestlers that are under the age of 30. And then, you, and then I'm saying this, like, I'm saying this, but I don't mean it's not a demeaning whatsoever. Then you have the Torimon grandpas. And it's it's just one of those things that's a very interesting time because there's such like a disparity going on here that I find very interesting. Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to watch the Yahashi brothers debut match. They're debuting against Fuji, which seems, you know, given their association with Sumo, a natural pairing there. And then Yasushi Kanda, who people not, might not remember, but when Dragon Daya debuted, uh, he wrestled in... Uh, the match with Shuji Kondo was Daya and Dragon Kid against Eita and Kanda. Kanda then representing R.E.D. Thankfully, he is out of that unit now. So they clearly have some sort of trust in Kanda to rein these kids in during their debuts. And it's, you know, a real dichotomy. I mean, we saw it, not to jump ahead, but even in the Cork and Hall main event, and I mentioned this in my written review over at VoicesOfWrestling.com, that was the classic Dragon Gate match. Four teams three men elimination style that is the dragon system but that was a match that wasn't carried by yamato it wasn't carried by susumi yokosuka it was carried by sp kento and by jason lee and by the younger guys on the roster and it is clear now just how much youth and how much talent is there it's something we've obviously harped on but something about having yoshino away from the picture even for a week or two you take a step back and go, oh my God, this is this is a young roster. And th these are guys that are hungry. They are looking to make their generational stories now. And for the most part, I think they're doing it very successfully. 
And it's something that, I mean, we're still on the heels of the retirement of the biggest star in the history of the Dragon System. So you kind of have to. And I think that this is one of those really fun times that is going to be interesting to see how the next few years go. And then looking back in hindsight and talking more about it. And our last big topic that we had, Case, that we really wanted to get into was the Dreamgate scene as we now have set up for the September Corkin that the first title match will be happening at that Dangerous Gate show, but at Corkin in, in September, as I'm pulling up the date for it, that Corkin on September 8th is a three-way Dream Key number one contenders match between Misaki Mochizuki, Benkei, and Kai. The winner faces off against Yamato at Dangerous Gate on the 20th of that month. This is the only time in this discussion that I will mention Coach Minora, but I had this thought as I was watching it live, and then I saw a native fan, someone in Japan, tweet out the same thing, which is, why not add Coach Minora to this match and make it a Dream Key hunting match, which, Mike, you can explain as you are the king of the Dragon Gate gimmick match. All right, so this is something that we've not had. I'm trying to think when the last Dream Key hunting match we had. It's 2013, I think. Well, yeah. did they do one when Ultimo returned? No, they, they, they did a they did something that was similar to it to decide the entrance in the cage. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. No, but I, the 2013 one that T-Hawk won, right. it, it, off the top of the brain, that's the last one that happened. Yeah, so the Dream Key hunting match, the idea is that behind one of the turnbuckles is a key. You're able to undo a turnbuckle pad, but you're only able to undo three turnbuckle pads and if you do not get the key within your three turnbuckle pads then you are eliminated from the match and you are not you you, you will still wrestle in the match but you cannot undo any more turnbuckle pads but it traditionally was a four-way match and the native fan there like that was kind of a thing that like it's a match type that does not get brought up very often like between like 2013 i think like the first the one you had to go before that might be like 2008 or 2009 it was something they really did a lot in 04 through 2009 and then they kind of dropped except for 2013 yeah had you thrown menorah into the fray and just done that match menorah could have won or lost kai could have won for all i cared at least then i think you fill in the logic gap that is there but instead you have this bizarre three-way match and I would like to know from you, we're a month away from this show happening. A lot can change. We can learn some stuff uh, throughout the Gate of Adventure in the month of August. But give me your percentages of Kai, Mochizuki, and Ben K. Who is going to be challenging Yamato for the Dreamgate belt? (sighs) This is tough because I was like thinking about it, and you can make the argument for all three of them. I... I do have to say at this point, I think Mochizuki is the underdog a little bit, and I think Kai is the favorite. I think that you're probably talking uh, 40% to Kai, 35 to Benkei, and then 25 to Mochizuki. What, what are your, what, what's your percentages so far? We're, we differ a little bit. I'm at, at 25 for Benkei, 25 for Mochizuki and 50 for Kai. And unfortunately, Mike, I think I went full galaxy brain. And I'm not I'm not even saying this is the favorite. I, I don't think this is going to happen. 
but I had something click in my mind as it was announced, as this uh, this scene, and we'll call it a scene, was unfolding in front of me, and I can't totally erase this thought from my mind. I can't say that it's foolish, but stick with me here, and if you disagree completely, shoot me down. Shoot me down out of the sky and let me crash and burn, because I don't want this to be the case. But Dangerous Gate 2021... Yamato versus Kai in an Open the Dreamgate Championship match, but instead of a no-rope match, they do some sort of barbed wire rope match gimmick. I just think the fans will completely reject it. They hated I, when Shingo brought it in, and they're kind of okay with Ata having barbed wire, but I just don't know if you do that there. I don't think that the, I don't think the native fans would go for that enough to go for it. I agree with you. I don't want it to happen, but Kai does have a history of doing barbed wire matches. He's been in three of them, notably one in 2017 where he teamed with Onita and Shingo in the same match, and they wrestled Fujita, Kendo Kashin, and Nozawa Wrong Guy. Uh, you'll never guess, but that was an Atsushi Onita produce show. I know you couldn't tell from an exploding barbed wire match that had Nozawa in it, but yes, that was an Onita produce show. I just can't shake the thought. I don't I don't think it's the most likely outcome, but I can't rule it out, and I certainly can't rule out Kai versus Yamato headlining one of the big five shows, which, look, I've I've thrown roses at Kai in the past. I think he's played a lot of his role very, very well. I loved the no-rope match, but on paper, I am dreading Yamato versus Kai possibly headlining a big five pay-per-view. Yeah, I just... It's just something that, like, I was done... With this, I mean, I was done with the storyline months ago. So, like, the fact that we're immediately going back to that well just does not enthuse me. I think business-wise, it makes sense. Like, Yamato versus Kai, you're doing it at, uh, you're doing it at Oda City. I, it makes sense. And even, like, there at Oda City, where that is kind of the show where Dragon Gate brings out the weapons. So, that's another point in your barbed wire match idea. Because that's where Shingo brought out the barbed wire bat that's where Ada always has the barbed wire board it is at Oda City so it makes sense I'm just not very enthused about it case to be quite honest while we're in this ballpark let me make a brief aside this very uh, some... unhappy ballpark <laughs> it's look it's not the field of dreams I'll tell you that much but I mentioned after the no rope match that I didn't expect Kai to go anywhere, but I really wish that would have been his final appearance because it would have been the perfect opportunity to write him off. It would have been three years in the company. He would have done his job and he would have done it well. And we could have washed our hands with Kai right there. Well, what happened a few days ago was that Kazuma Sakamoto showed up in Glee. And we talked about this on the Open the Voice Gate account a little bit, but we have not talked about it uh, with one another what do you make of this? I I mean, he's a freelancer. And, and, and a, a noted freelancer, if you listen to our interview with Jay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you notice that in the match, there's no one in Strong Hearts in it. So I just think he's taking other dates. I mean, he's taking other dates while, while in COVID, too. Like, he was regularly participating in NOAA up until mid last year. So does not surprise me too much it'll be interesting to see how things continue if this is something that they brought him in because he's someone that can sell tickets and can handle like that sort of thing or if he's sticking around and i think the big 
kind of tell about that is if he gets engaged with Stronghearts in any fashion. The thing to note, and I, I, I do think this is important, is that if you look at the Dragon Gate website, gaiora.co.jp backslash Dragon they update their roster page meticulously. And Cosma debuted and Gleet the next day, Masada Yoshino's profile was pulled from the website and Cosmos was still there. If you look at Cosmos social media, he is constantly retweeting Dragon Gate things. Now, he's also retweeting World of Sport GIFs and ECW montages and whatever else, because Cosmos Sakamoto loves the wrestling. But A great account still, to follow. A great account gr- to follow. great account. Honestly, more people should post like Cosmos Sakamoto. It would make Twitter a much better place. But... Uh, he is still showing some affiliation with the company. He has not been removed. Uh, his profile has not been removed from the company website. And I do think that's relevant because, like I said, they update that page constantly with new renders. Whenever there's a new unit, they're put up there immediately. And Yoshino's profile is already gone. So Cosmo's still there. I noticed when the Gate of Adventure cards were announced that he he wasn't anywhere to be found. I didn't think much of it. The next day he shows up in Gleet, I thought, hmm. Maybe you should have thought more of it, but he's still there for now, and I hope he comes back because, what can I say? I enjoy some Cosmo Sakamoto. And it's something worth noting that Dragon Gate does try to run, or it did at one point try to run its own like self-contained bubble. So when Mochizuki was doing all the Noah stuff, he would kind of stay in Noah, and, and that was it. So I, I think like the big tell to me would be, one... As I mentioned, if he starts doing things with strong hearts, I think that's a very kind of uh, glaring thing that that he might be moving on. And two, if after whatever he does in Gleet, if he's not on, I forget what the tour is after Gate of Adventure. Gate of Adventure is always one that sticks out because it's traditionally the Summer Adventure Stormgate. I I believe it's Stormgate. Yeah, yeah. If the Stormgate cards come out and he's still off of it and he's still doing Gleet shows, then uh, I would be interested to see. Then, then I think we could be talking about Cosmo's time in Dragon Gate coming to a close for right now. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Have you seen, speaking of Mochizuki and Noah, have you seen the lineups for... Uh, the in one victory this year no no i have not please <laughs> pl- pl- please educate me on this case y- 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 you know i watch dragon gate i watch all elite wrestling and then i pick and choose from there so i i, I do not keep great tabs on on nosawa produce the major prom- promotion right now look as you know there's no promotion I hate more than pro wrestling Noah. And that's not even because they're bad. That's just because they're annoying because they could be good and they choose to be bad. They choose violence every single morning, but they threw old case of bone here with the B block 
of the N1 Victory Tour. There's four guys in the block. It's Mochizuki versus Daiki Anaba, who's a guy that I really like. Uh, it's uh, So it's Mochizuki, it's Anaba, it's Kano, and then it was supposed to be Murakami, but I believe he just came down with some sort of illness do you did you see anything about this i i would hate to i would honestly hate to spread like false information about murakami but i think he just came down with something don't get the murakami heads coming after us i don't want to deal with big mouth loud truthers no, out I, here i had i had hardcore noah fans come at me for a tweet this week uh it, it, i made me laugh but uh i, I i'm trying to look this up quickly because i thought i read somewhere today that yeah murakami is out due to uh, some sort of nerve condition. I cannot pronounce Ugh. the word in front of nerve condition. Uh, Mike, I'm going to spell this out for you. You can read it for me. S-C-I-A-T-I-C. Sciatic. Sciatic. Okay. Now, I don't know what that means. I hear nerve condition, and I think, oh, that's bad. So I don't know who is going to take Murakami's place in the N1, but I do know that we're getting Mochizuki versus Anaba, and then in Cork and Hall, September 26th, Kino versus Mochizuki, and that I am into. So thank you, Noah. The A block looks like shit. The D block looks like shit. I can gladly ignore those, but Block C has Nakajima, Katara Suzuki and Masato Tanaka and Block B has Anaba, Kano, and Mochizuki, and those are thumbs up from your old pal Case Low. So the sciatic nerve is like near your hips and your ass, and it goes down each of your legs. So Oof. that's bad. Yeah, yeah. that's Oof. rough. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll I, I'll I'll seek out the Kano match case. I will seek out the Kano match. I don't know much about this Anaba kid, but Kano, all right. Inaba's good. He is someone who I, I want to. I'm pretty sure I got the right guy, but I, I got to do a quick check here to make sure he's the guy that I'm thinking of because he is someone who, uh, yeah, he came up in Wrestle One and was uh, one of the few guys there that I really paid attention to because years ago, I think this was 2015. I'm looking at the car now and I think this is when this match happened. There was an Otani versus Inaba match and Shinjuku face that at the time and Russell one had existed at this point for like two years. And I, I up until Strongheart showed up had an active hatred for Russell one because there was no need for them to exist, but there was an Otani versus a Naba match when a was a young boy. And that was to me, the best Russell one match in history up until Shima showed up and absolutely wrecked shit. So he's someone with potential. He's someone uh, that I, I don't think I've seen any of him in Noah but I trust him and Mochizuki to have a good match. More importantly, Anaba can take a beating, and that is uh, obviously a good thing when you're in the ring with Mochizuki. And Kano, to be honest. I mean, Kano's a very angry young man. So good luck, Anaba. You, you, you have a fun tournament ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, again, we were talking about him getting stretched by Otani five years ago, <laughs> and really nothing has changed. Like, it's, he's in the same spot. <laughs> well, instead of being stretched, getting kicked in the face and punched in the face. So, I mean, I think I would take the Otani stuff rather than kicks from Kano and Misaki Mochizuki, to be quite honest. So, I would say it's downgrade. Had, we, we, we could have had Kano and Drangate. If he just would have migrated from Michinoku to Drangate instead of Noah, I feel like his career would be in a much better spot. Because they're never, they're, you know... Look, this is not the podcast to break down pro wrestling Noah booking. The moral of the booking or the moral of the story is that Noah's booking is terrible, has been terrible, and will always be terrible. 
but there's a there's some good stuff in the B block there, and I mentioned it because I'm a Saki Mochizuki, so we stayed on topic. There we go. There we go. And the uh, last topic I wanted to bring up is the first week of Rio Saito's tenure of general manager. We we both kind of when we saw this happen, it's like, all right, this makes sense for for like what's happening here. And the way I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on how they're playing it because I'm a big fan of way over his head Cyrio right now. I like it. I, I'm here's what I don't want. Let me get the negative out of the way first. Rio Saito walks a real fine line with me, very similar to Orange Cassidy, where when Orange Cassidy delivers, I am madly entertained by it. The issue is that he delivers maybe five percent of the time. And the other, uh, the other 95%, I'm very annoyed by it. Saito is someone who is going to have to tread lightly. I can't see too much of him. I don't want to see too much of Rio Saito's face, and I'm afraid I'm going to. But week one on the job, I think he's been really enjoyable. Like I said, I love the way he has been used as uh, the fall man, basically, in Akuda versus SB Kento. I think that has been brilliant. I love that story. I love the way they have brought him into that. I am going to draw the narrative, whether it's fair or not, that if Saito is the matchmaker, that he's the one that brought back the 12-man tag that we saw in Cork and Hall. I love that. I hope we get more wacky matches. I was just talking about this on the show. I want more Nanoa Falls elimination matches. Give me Captain's Fall elimination matches. Give me weird shit. That is what Drangi did so well for so long, and they've abandoned it. So if Saito's role is giving us more of that great this week he didn't annoy me next week we'll see and one thing he also did was in cork and and what was the kind of the prerequisite comedy match on the show he wanted to hurry things along because there was a quarantine and he wanted everyone to come out at the same time everyone introduced at the same time and then the, the idea that putting a match with ichikawa and makes it a really quick match there you know, he has a logic there. He's working around the constraints of this time. Case, one thing I've started to do, and I'm going to do this as a bit until we forget or stops being interesting. I have an approval rating poll that I'll be doing every week before we start recording. Uh, and I'm just asking on Twitter, do you approve of general manager Rio Saito's week on the job? And in the first week case, the approval rating of Cyrio as general manager 89.5% approval. He's doing great. He's doing great right now. Look, Mike, I'm in a position in my shoot job where I am right now being considered for a promotion that would put me, uh, without revealing too much information, would put me more on the corporate side of things. And as a 22-year-old, it is fucking terrifying. It is a lot of responsibility that I welcome but also did not ask for. One of the things that I have learned constant communication always checking in with the people around you not micromanaging but just checking in makes your life a lot easier so if we can check in with rio saito every week i think we're fine my one big concern i don't think i mentioned this i think i got lost in thinking about rio saito's face i will be bummed out if the open the awari gate championship comes back i do not need that in current dragon gate no and it's not like there's a, a huge roster you could pull from, even with like the idea of like gag champions like Mr. Nakagawa. You know, it's just that era has passed. Shingo did away with that title belt. Let's uphold Shingo's image here. 
in a Shingo versus Rio Saito feud that just about made me stop reviewing Dragon Gate. So please, please keep that belt away from this promotion. I enjoy Mike Spears. I enjoy this podcast. Let's keep the Awara Gate Championship out of the picture. So those were our big topics that we wanted to talk about today. Can, can I throw you one more real quick? Something oh, I've yeah, been thinking sure about thing. this week. Sure thing. I, they didn't wrestle against one another on either of these shows. Not on Osaka, not in Tokyo. But they're, they're two guys that, for reasons that will become obvious when I mention them, are, are attached at the hip. And I thought individually, they both had really strong showings uh, this weekend. That being Ben K and that being Shun Skywalker. And it's a few months past now. I haven't really thought about the project since we concluded it in early April. But Mike and I, as I'm sure many of you are aware of, uh, alongside our friend Alan Forrell, we participated in a Greatest Wrestler Ever project where we ranked what we thought were the 100 Greatest Wrestlers of All Time. Uh, all of that information is available on the VIP section of the Pro Wrestling Torch website. Go check it out if you have not. None of the three of us ranked Ben K or Shun Skywalker, they're five years into their career, I think it would have been foolish to do so. But at this point, Mike, in their careers, five years deep, they've both been Open the Dreamgate champion, they've both been in a number of prominent matches and a number of Match of the Year contenders. I, I don't need a number as to where you think they would be, but if you were making a Greatest Wrestler Ever list today and you had to extend it until you hit either Shun Skywalker or Ben K., who do you think has had the better in-ring career up to this point? Interesting. So you just wanted me to rank them not slot where I think they would end up being if we extended it out. No, right right now, who has had the better career? I think at this moment, it's probably Binke. Just because, and again, this is no fault of his own, we were robbed of a couple main event big five matches with uh, Shun Skywalker. I think it's Ben K right now. And I think Ben K has some more tag work that Shun Skywalker doesn't have. I think Ben K has more trios work as well. So I think it's Ben K at this juncture. Forecasting out, though, if we we're going to say like the career, I think in the end, just because of an age disparity and health wise, I think it'll be Shun Skywalker on top. But at this moment, it is Ben K. I'm going to give the edge to Skywalker. I think because his career has been so erratic and in a weird way, he's popped up in a lot of different places and he's constantly changed it. Well, I guess Ben, ben K has also constantly changed his look. They're even there. I was going to say that Skywalker changed his look a lot, but Ben K's 2020 was a wild, wild ride. I think we forget just because of how Skywalker is and how he carries himself that he has been just in a number of ridiculous matches. I always point to the Mochizuki tag team. I was just looking through my 2019 spreadsheet and I forgot just how good Shun was that year, starting the year with Mochizuki Dojo, ending the year on his own, and then ending the year splitting uh, to Mexico because he was on his own. And he had no one there fighting with him. It's really, really an incredible career he's had. And I just feel coming out of Kobe world and speed star final, it just gave me a new appreciation for Shun. He is a phenomenal professional wrestler who I think because of the way he looks, wearing the mask, and the, you know, just preconceived notion that we have about masked wrestlers being American wrestling fans, I think there is a mental block. And maybe you disagree. You can, you can tell me if you do. 
I think we are preconceived to think these guys are fun and that they're exciting, but that they're not the best, that we don't consider them to be the top guy. And I think it's a weird thing because we've been conditioned on WWE programming to think that, and we're just now breaking that cycle. But if you look at Shun's resume, there are not a lot of wrestlers that have been better over this past five years from 2016 to 2021 than Shun Skywalker. Benke is close, but I think I would give the edge to Shun. It, it's something like you bring up the masks thing, and it's interesting because I feel like that the, the mask argument is just because of and I'm not this is not the everything elite Patreon where I'm gonna be talking about the 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 appending downfall of the performance center era. But we've been so conditioned over like that twenty year period of the WWE being the only game in town that people kind of forget about like Mr. Wrestling number one and Mr. Wrestling number two. They they forget about like in Mexico, I mean it's just tradition there. And then like Rey Mysterio kind of is the one that like really broke through. And and the way, and, so we, like and he, we were told his entire career that he was too small and not good enough. And right. even if we know Ray is one of the ten best wrestlers of all time, the the perception of the masked wrestler is just beat into your mind, whether it's fair or not. And that's sort of, I, I think, one of the hurdles that again, it's just this weird thing where I don't think anybody's intentionally thinking about Shun in this lesser way. But I do think it is a weird part of of wrestling fandom that I have just started to realize, especially coming out of speed star final, where I was like, God, this guy, this guy has put in a ridiculous resume and I don't know if he gets all the credit that he deserves for it. No, no. And I think he's someone that like, again, forecasting out, I think he's going to really ascend like up the rankings and would be someone maybe not in 2026, but in 10 years from now, looking back and be a real, top 100 contender whereas with uh, Benke there's just a lot of things that I feel like would prohibit him making my top 100 in the future yeah they both have ridiculous careers I mean we've known from Benke's debut match that he was going to be something special special rather Shun there was a lot of like okay what is this guy is he going to kill himself in the ring? Is he going to kill somebody else in the ring? No, he's actually just going to have a, a, a dominant world title reign and end with two match the year contenders back to back on the two biggest shows in company history. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you look at what he was doing this week. It's going to be interesting to see where he kind of shakes out over the next few months because he will get pulled back. I mean, that's just how things operate in Dragon Gate. It's not like an indictment or them, like bailing out and saying, no, we're not going to be dealing with Shun Skywalker anymore. But seeing him now team with Kota Minor at Cork and being a part of the four-unit exciting series and in Osaka, and also looking ahead and seeing how he's kind of positioned on these upcoming Fukuoka shows, it's going to be interesting to see like how things kind of get fleshed out because he's opening one of the shows with Kota Minora at Fukuoka and he's going to be he's in the main event of the evening show but it's but it's also part of the four unit exciting battle series so it's going to be an interesting fall and winter to to kind of track him as well not to go Andrew Rich music of the mat on you but did you notice a cork and hall and I think I think it was the Twitter user uh and and boy will I butcher this pronunciation but uh, our room uh the uh, you you know who i'm talking about if you're if you're on dragon gate twitter at all you are fully aware of who i'm talking about i believe she pointed out that in the skywalker menorah match they came out to kota menorah's music do you make anything of that 
Uh, usually they come out with the person who is has the most presence, most presidents at the moment. So yeah, that's a thing. That's part of the pullback. Kota Minora is on the winning streak. Kota Minora at this time is kind of positioned more so booking wise. Like he's the one on the win streak. He's the the climber. And I mean, he was the one who got the win in, Fu- in Osaka. So, I mean, I think that is, that's part of the pullback. All right, Mike, let's quickly go match by match through Osaka and then through Cork and Hall. We can fill in the gaps of anything that we didn't already touch on. Is that good with you? That works for me. So we talked about future. It was uh, Riki Hashi versus Takuma Fujiwara there. That was a whole lot of fun. And then we had the Brave Gate No Contest that we talked about starting off the show. And then we had Match 2, part of the four-unit exciting battle series. It was natural vibes of, of Susumi Yokosuka, uh, King Shimizu, Kinki Horikuchi, and Funky Jackie Kamei versus Masquerade of Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Dragon Daya, and Jason Lee. And I really, really, this was a hot match starting off the the show here, it was 10 minutes and 38 seconds. Kota Minora getting the gong on Funky Jackie Kamei. So Funky Jackie Kamei is not on the Fukuoka shows coming up this weekend on August 15th. And that is a bummer because if I had the proverbial pencil, Jason Lee and Funky Jackie Kamei better get used to each other because I think their chemistry is excellent. And I think everything that Jason Lee does well and listeners of this podcast know that I think he does a lot of things well. I think those are all things that Kamei could uh, bring into his arsenal. The smoothness, the quickness, the agility. Kamei, it's interesting. You know, when he was just under his his Turtle Chan gimmick, to, uh, Takedo Kamei, I don't feel like we ever questioned his fluidity in the ring or whether or not he could put certain things together. But since he's gone to natural vibes, does it feel like he's taken a step back as a performer? Yes. Yes. That was something I was going to bring up that like, I I'm kind of bothered because Kamei is mine and Alan Forel's guy out of this class and he needs consistency and he has not had consistency since joining natural vibes and being off the Fukuoka shows doesn't help in that regard. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a bummer. I would like to see him get more work and appear on more of these cards for as great as future is. And I love that we're getting to see these raw exhibition matches. Someone like Kamei needs either a prime zone or a Nex to just get that consistent work. And it appears that both of those have been done by the wayside. And it's disappointing because I would like to think that if there were ever more Dragon Gate Nex shows that they would end up on the network and I would like to think that Kamei would be a big part of them, but it doesn't appear like that's in the cards anytime soon. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a bummer because it just seems like that his, his injury really derailed him at the point where, I mean, he was supposed to be teaming with UT on that first Fukuoka double shot of the year. Like they were really going to start like having young vibes out in the forefront. And he's just now kind of the erratic lost post of the unit. And it's a real bummer because. The rest of this match, like, I thought, like, he was fine here, but I thought that this eight-man tag team match was excellent. Like, I went three and three-quarters, very close to being a notebook for me, and a lot of that was, like, seeing seeing Masquerade and Natural Vibes together, getting to see, the like, the opening with Shun Skywalker and King Shimizu, which ended with, like, the nice thing about, like, Shun Skywalker now being able to, like, have these matches where he's against guys who, I don't want to say are bigger than him, 
but are sturdier and can base for him. Like the the opening thing with like all of the shoulder tackles leading into to Harris from him. Rock Dragon Dia might be my favorite babyface in peril working today. It just was an absolute blast of an of a match two and the start of the. It's not listed as a four unit exciting battle, but it was a four unit exciting battle happening there. So oh, I really enjoyed this match too, Kay. So what were your thoughts about it overall? A little lower than you as a three and a half. You were at three and three quarters, but yeah, it's it. Look, it's exactly what I want. I hope we get in the future less masquerade versus natural vibes matches at match two and more on the business end of the card because these teams can obviously do great things with one another. And this was merely uh, a scraping the surface of what both teams are capable of. Yeah, and then we got into match three. This was a tag team match of unaffiliated wrestlers, Don Fuji and Sushi Kanda versus Gamma and Punch Tomonaga. Don Fuji won in 10 minutes and 30 seconds with a super choke slam on Punch Tomonaga. And this was a match that existed. Yep, yep. This was, I'm certain this match has happened like 30 times before, and it was exactly what it was there. Probably didn't need to go 10 minutes and 30 seconds. I uh, don't really have any thoughts in case I'm guessing you don't either. Uh, match four. Uh, six-man tag team match, R.E.D. team of B.B. Hulk, Diamante, and Diane Inferno versus unaffiliated team of Ultimo Dragon, Ryo Saito, and Takashi Yoshida. Diane Inferno won with a Hurricane Rana cutback assisted by B.B. Hulk on Ryo Saito. Can I get your vibe check on Dia Inferno right now? What do you think about him not always being paired with Dragon Dia, especially... Well, I, answer that first. I, I have a follow-up question, though. I, you know, I've always been a little bit lower on Inferno than you are, and I think he's fine, and I do like the idea that they put the gimmick that he doesn't really know as much what to do, though he's kind of figuring out, out wrestling. It's just one of those things that I he's so tied to the hip with Dragon Dia that he always kind of feels a little bit out of place with me when it's not a match against Masquerade or Dragon Dia is involved. Yeah, it's weird. I I feel like they're getting more comfortable with the idea of Dia Inferno. I'm going to use the phrase sticking around and given who was under that mask, it makes me a little uneasy. I, I've liked the character since the debut. I think it's only gotten better over time. But that character is there for a purpose, and I would like to see it stick to that purpose. Yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I want the Puestas match, and it's... I enjoy the character Die Inferno. I think that they've really found ways to revigorate this feud after Dragon Dia was injured most of the spring, but there's a purpose here, and I don't like them getting away from the purpose yeah i would i would co-sign those thoughts the match itself was just kind of there i mean it was fine like it was not a bad match they kept it moving and they highlighted what they needed to highlight i thought inferno in this match actually probably was the star of it but just i mean given who all it was there this kind of felt like card filler in a way yeah, I like the Inferno stuff. I, I like anytime Ultimo gets in the ring with Diamante. I look forward to their Dragon Mania 22 mask versus mask match. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we, ha- we had a weak middle portion of the show here, but it picked up for the final two matches. Yes, it did. Uh, this was not a part of the four-unit exciting battle, but it was Natural Vibes versus High End 
high end and unaffiliated. So no wonder it didn't. It was the natural vibes team of KZ and UT versus Naruki Doi and Binkei. Binkei defeated UT with a Binkei bomb in 12 minutes and 38 seconds. And what was my match of the night? I thought this was exceptional. I thought this was very good. I, I don't think it ever flirted with being great for me, but I'm comfortable also calling it the best match in the show. Naruki Doi is an interesting guy right now. I really thought either this show or Cork and Hall, we would get a big angle with Naruki Doi because as he said since April, you know, he's going to hold off on finding a new unit until after Masao Yoshino retires. Naruki Doi is still one of the biggest stars in the promotion. And I thought they would hit the ground running and make something happen with Doi, whether that's a heel turn, whether that's his own unit. I have no idea where they're going with him, but I thought they would start their direction to that place on these shows, and it did not happen, which I think is very interesting. But what did happen is a very, very good match with Doi and Ben K, the former maximum pairing against KZ and UT. Of course, UT delivered in a big spot. Of course, KZ looked good here. I would love it if we saw more direct two-on-two KZ and UT tag matches. Yeah, I love this tag team. I thought UT was the star here, and UT probably is my favorite wrestler to watch in the ring in Dragon Gate right now. And I thought that UT was so good with Doi here, and then just kind of did a whole lot of things, and just he was he was being able to kind of stretch things. I thought he had like a great closing stretch, and this crowd, like the soccer crowds, are the most. Uh, with the exception of when people beat up on rookies, like the most excited crowds in Dragon Gate, as you were talking about earlier this show, UT really had the crowd in the palm of his hands. And I thought it was a really fun finishing stretch. And, you know, I would really be interested in what would happen. Like, I don't think we'll get natural vibes versus natural vibes. But yeah, I want to see KZ and UT stick around. I feel like that those two have good chemistry together. Completely agree. And then we got a uh, a main event that I, I thought was a pretty hot little affair. Mike, what did you think of this? I thought it served its purpose. It was the it was the f- the official four unit exciting battle match of the night: High End versus Red Yamato, Dragon Kid, Kagator, and Kesuke Akuda versus Kaido Shida, Kai Hyo, and SB Kento. Akuda gets the win with the choke sleeper on SB Kento in just under nine minutes, and I liked how it was very freewheeling and focused on the Brave Gate rivalry here. And I thought that it was all really solid here, and I felt like that this is. Like my big takeaway from this show was that SB Kento took a huge step forward in my mind in ring because I thought he looked like an absolute star here, and I felt like that really he was the the uh, straw that stirred the drink, if you will. Yeah, I love the rare instance we get a Dragon Gate match like this where it feels really chaotic and really thrown together. This never found its flow, and I think that benefited the match. This was pretty hectic for all, you know, roughly nine minutes that it existed. It was a larger vehicle for Akuda and SB Kento, as you said, and I, I, I like this every once in a while. The, the, the two that come to mind, to a, I guess this one was a longer match, it was more formulaic, but... The, the show I reference all the time, January 14th, 2005, which really, to me, is the true beginning of Drangate. Obviously, it's a promotion that launches in, in August of 2004, but January 2005 is the beginning of Blood Generation and the sort of, oh shit, we're on to something new here, where Doi turns heel in the first match, and then he joins the main event, and it's just a crazy wild main event to end an all-time great Drangate show. There's also... From 2014, 
Now, I, I want to pull up the match just to get it exactly right. But BB Hulk was the Dreamgate champion, and he had it in his mind that he was going to defend the belt against all of Mad Blanky in sort of a, a, a gauntlet style Dreamgate match, and that did not go well. He was pinned, I believe, by Casey uh, very, very early into the match. And so what did they do? Shima said, well, we can't send the fans home with a six-minute main event that ended in absolute nonsense. Let's have a member from every unit come out here and team with Hulk. So they had Tozawa and Shima and Susumu and T-Hawk come out to team with Hulk, and they wrestled Matt Blanky in the main event. Very chaotic match, very entertaining. This one didn't live up to those heights, but it was the same sort of idea, and I really like it when they go in that direction. Yeah, and it's something where, again... General Manager Rio Saito doing a great job adding these two in the main event. You know, just great first week on the job. Killing, killing it. it. And that was it for the uh, uh, Osaka Eon 2. This was their first Osaka show that they had since uh, Champion Gate because of the last COVID shutdown, which I didn't realize until I was looking up because I was trying to figure out, like, when was the last time they were in this building? Not since March, but it will be up on the network through the 16th. It's two hours. Like, this show breezes by even like the slower stuff in the middle i mean yeah they did give 10 minutes to a punch to monaga match but i mean and they, they played the hits there it just was i thought this was a really fun show and actually i think i liked this show more than i liked the corkin yeah corkin was strange the main event was great uh worth checking out immediately if you have not seen it even if i didn't like the finish there was a lot of stuff on the corkin show that i almost really liked and then i just didn't but yeah, it, it was not the strongest Cork and Hall outing they've had this year. It's a building that they've struggled in. I put a lot of that on the mandates and the restrictions due to COVID, but they haven't knocked it out of the park a ton at Cork in this year, which has been disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Attendance 635, which I'm going to really keep track of these because it's kind of the big tell on how big of a hit losing Masato Yoshino was. They were selling it out at 7.15 before it. This was kind of what I was expecting, 6.35. So not a bad show in case your written review is up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, we had the future match. It was Takumi Haikawa versus Ishin Nahashi. And then we had the announcement of the Ahashis debuting at Dangerous Gate that we talked about earlier. And then we opened up the show proper with Bensuke, the high-end team of Binkei and Keisuke Akuda versus BB Hulk and Daya Inferno were really this... The story of this match was building off everything in Osaka because SB Kento was at ringside and just really just kind of just being a thorn and high inside the entire match. Super entertaining opener. I like this real strong way to start the show. Ben K looked really, really good here. I I just liked what he did. Not a great match, not a very good match, but a solid effort uh, from everybody involved, including SB Kento. This match must have hit me at a at a bad time. I did not really care for it. I I, <laughs> I just I, I I enjoyed the Akuda stuff with SB Kento. I thought Hulk looked okay at least for the first few minutes, and it kind of lost its way and kept on going on. And I was like, okay, can we please get this over with at a certain point? So, but Benke looked strong. Benke did look strong, and it made sense how strongly he looked given what happened after the main event. Yeah, very much so. Match two. We talked about this a little bit uh, when we were talking about Ryo Saito. This was Naruki Doi, Kenichiro Arai, Ryo Saito versus Konamaui Chikawa, Sachi Okoboy, and Yosuke Samaria. We had a quick match that was restarted because it was 
Konamaui Chikawa in it. And for the and for new listeners, the gimmick with Soccer Chikawa, we will refer to him as Soccer, but his now his name now is Konamaui Chikawa. Is he always loses immediately then asks for a rematch? The rematch went four minutes and twenty nine seconds when Kenichiro Arai reversed the figure four and made uh, Konamaui Chikawa tap out. And my big uh, takeaway from it about about this was how funny it was that jay immediately went into previewing match three right after this <laughs> yeah this was another good night from jay and hoho they had a they had a very enjoyable performance over at the commentary table i wrote about this in my review but doi missing the bakatare sliding kick and then ichikawa immediately going into a picture perfect lamahi straw for a two count what a fucking spot man ichikawa always delivers and it's unbelievable He's the greatest comedy wrestler of all time. Like, it, 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 it's so good to see like that happen. And we got to see a new title belt from Kenichiro Arai, but it's not a title belt. It's a banner that he brought out and was very proud of. They have no idea what it's from. Ho-Ho did not know it was from either. So <laughs> who knows what sleaze indie he got that title. <laughs> he, uh, did, he didn't get the newest occupation of the indies DVD. It's a little bit behind right now. <laughs> they must not get Samurai in the dojo. <laughs> They must knock it, Sarah. <laughs> Match three, Ultimate Dragon, Misaki Mochizuki, and Problem Dragon versus Yozushi Kanda, Takashi Yoshida, and Punch Tomonaga. Kind of felt like the, the middle matches that we saw at the at Osaka number two. Mochizuki reversed. The like the, the pu- punch did his Matrix Evade, and then Mochizuki just picked him up and gave him a twister to win in seven minutes and 39 seconds. I thought this was very paint by the numbers, but decent. Look, I was blown away by Mochizuki in this match because you can obviously put him in a great match and you can see how great he is. But when you put him in there with scrubs, like who he was dealing with here, and you see him pull what I thought was a thrilling closing stretch between he and Punch Tamanaga, you just got to take a step back and go, holy shit, this is one of the best guys to ever do it. I mean, he's really like this is weirdly such an impressive Masaki Mochizuki match. I mean, he pretty much carried it all. Like it was, it was, his, like, no, it was it, his match. It was a one on three match. It was Mochizuki against three dorks, and it was great. <laughs> Let's not be. You're being a little unfair there to Yuzushi Kanda. He's not a dork. He's just a he's a slime ball. Oh well, which would you rather be a dork or a slime ball? Oh, slime ball any day of the week. Any day of the week, I, I I'd want to be a dirt bag. I Man, am a dirt I, bag case. That's the thing. I'm a fucking dork and I'm sick of it. I, I don't, <laughs> I gotta get, I, what I, I, I had this thought a few weeks ago and I don't, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to act on this, but I just kept on having this thought when I was sitting in my apartment of like, what if I just started being mean? What if I got mean? And I don't know what that <laughs> is. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to execute this thought process, but I, because I, unfortunately, this is a, a something that typically people who aren't very nice say, but I have taken stock of my life and I've determined I'm a very nice person and I'm sick of it. I am ready for <laughs> something new. I'm ready to slick back the hair and put on the leather jacket and hit the jukebox. I I want to start being mean and maybe I do that by hanging out with Yasushi Kanda. Yeah, I mean, Yasushi Kanda knows how to bury a body. Like straight up, this is a guy that yeah. If there's problems in your Japan, I'm calling up Yuzushi Kanda. He'll he'll take care of it. But yeah, because if he if he can't do it, he definitely knows a guy that can do it. Oh, he knows a guy. He 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 most assuredly knows <laughs> a guy. Yuzushi Kanda is the the Webster's dictionary definition of he knows a guy. 
but at the same time like you see him on social media and he seems like so nice but you know like in the back of his head it's like this is a guy you know he knows a guy well like yeah. uh, so case so, you just need to walk that you just need to walk that type rope you need to be like a zushi kanda that's what that's yeah. what you should aspire to look i don't know how to do it but i'm sick of this current incarnation of myself so i gotta try something new and i think i'm just gonna start shoulder checking people into lockers whenever i see them i i mean we just gotta go find a nerd to bully like like that's what it is god that's gonna be hard to find a nerd but i'll see what i can do <laughs> match four was the comeback match for strong machine j he reactivated strong machine f and g and they went up against the natural vibes team of ginky horiguchi ut and funky jackie kamei Jay got the win with the machine suplex on Funky Jackie Kamei in six minutes and three seconds. And I thought like Strong Machine Jay looked great in this. He looks he looks good. He didn't have like a shoulder sling on. He was doing things that you would not expect someone who coming back from that kind of surgery is doing. And UT, like we kind of dropped off on being on doing our MVPs of the week case, but UT has a very strong case to being the MVP of this week. That's a very fair assessment because I you know, every time I watch Strong Machine J, and I think for a while he was just so beaten down that he couldn't really showcase this, but he was able to do it here, where I, I forget he moves around as well as he does. You know, he's got that nice wheel kick, and he's able to keep up with this roster. I mean, yes, all of his matches have a distinct Strong Machine J feel to them, but he's still able to work with all of these guys here. You know, the faster guys like a Funky Jackie Kamei or a UT, he was able to, to work with them pretty well. I need to see what the next step for him is. It wouldn't shock me if he somehow ends up spending time teaming with the Ahashi brothers as they get more acclimated to the roster. I feel like that's probably the direction they're going with him. I'm not really interested in a rehash of Strong Machine F and Strong Machine G. I would like to see what's next for Strong Machine J, but I really have no idea what that is. Well, he teased that there was like a new machine or there's going to be a change happening with the machine army. So maybe... Maybe someone's going to be debuting as a machine. Maybe some. Maybe we we might be seeing Strong Machine S, for example. Yeah, I don't want that. I I really like Sora Fuchikawa. I really like his face, and I would hate to see him put under that mask and that gimmick. I mean, just imagine like you're if they do that, then they never have to reissue the state of emergency uh, guidelines. Makes no, our life Mike, a whole lot I, easier. Mike I, Mike, I want people to break the state of emergency guidelines. I would love for more people to scream and shout on these shows. And Sora <laughs> Fujikawa, think about all the shit that's gone on since March of 2020. And one of the guys who has elicited the strongest reactions, not only in Drangi, but in all of Japanese professional wrestling, has been Sora Fujikawa, who has been gone, by the way, I believe as of at the day we're recording this, August 12th, I believe it's been exactly a year since Masaki Mochizuki obliterated his face. So he has been gone for a year now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he should be coming back soon. So maybe he could break the uh, the COVID rules. The only time I've ever heard in the last 18 months of a company needing to remind people not to shout was because Suji Kondo was too mean to him. Tremendous, tremendous. I, 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 that was a very, that was a very, I, I really, I, I, I'm going to look back uh, on the clap crowds as a pretty miserable time, but July through December of Drangate last year was a pretty special time, and I wish it would have happened in front of a normal audience, but I'm glad it exists in the way that it does, because that was a really fun run for this company. It really stood out. It really stood out. Uh, Semi-main event, uh, Shun Skywalker and Kota Minora of masquerade versus red kai and diamante 
there was a DQ and as a ref attack as uh, as Diamante just right in front of the referee uh, decided to pull the uh, Bobby Hill special and then shove down the referee. And, you know, I thought this was a fun match until the finish. Yeah, I was really high on this. And had we had a clean finish, I would have at the very least flirted with going four stars because I was really into how violent Diamante and Kai were, how aggressive they were slamming young boys onto Minora and Skywalker on the floor, for example. I thought that was tremendous. But we end up with a non-finish. It's a bummer. But, you know, it's interesting. It seemed like we were going to get Diamante versus Ultimo coming out of Speedstar final and that seems to have been abandoned or you know that wasn't the plan at all we just read too much into that Diamante versus Shun is not something I had spent a ton of time thinking about but I would be okay with seeing those guys have a lot more interactions yeah yeah Diamante it, it's something like when someone was like asking like who's most improved wrestler of 2021 and I still think it might be Diamante because he was because as good as he got in 2020, I feel like he's much better now. Like he's so it, exciting to watch. It has been two years in the promotion for him now. He came in in August of 2019. Think about how better he has gotten in that two year run. Oh, it's it's probably the biggest success story in the history of anyone coming in as a Gaijin in Dragon Gate. At one point, we had thought of him as one of the worst imports they had ever brought in really on that same level as like when at peak open the global gate obsession when you had your b-boys and your human tornadoes and whoever else and those are wrestlers that i like that's not a shot at them but they weren't up to the dragon gate standard it was like man diamante is just not the guy and the flips switched one day and he has been terrific ever since i i now look forward to a lot of his matches and, and it's something that, like, I like the fact that he's paired off with Shun because he's someone that, I mean, if he could base for La Estrella, he could also base for Shun Skywalker, and it's really kind of fantastic stuff. And Kai was nice and vicious in this as well. I would, if there was a Summer Venture Tag League, I'm okay if a Kai and Diamante team, as long as we get like Mino Shun happening, because I enjoyed Minora and Shun Skywalker as well. I think that this was something that could have been, if it didn't have the finish it did, really could have trended really high and then we got into the main event it was the return of the four-way six-man tag it was high ends yamato dragon kate kagatora natural vibes kz susumi yokosuka and king shimizu masquerade the triangle gate team of jason lee dragon daya and la estrella and the red team of kaido ishida sb kento and hyo the falls were sbk submitting dragon daya with the SB shooter in 19 minutes and six seconds after Diet Inferno's interference, and then Dragon Kid getting his eternal rival Susumu Yokosuka. Dragon Kid has a lot of rivals, a lot of return, a lot of eternal rivals between Susumu, Kondo, and Kness. This is a guy who gets a lot of beefs, but he got him in 22 minutes and 53 seconds, and then Hio got the win for red the big brain himself got the big win on the big stage in 25 minutes and seven seconds after kai ran in and laid out yamato with the media impact but more importantly hyo won the match yeah hyo pinned the open the Dreamgate champion which is uh, is that the second time he's done this this year no because he beat skywalker by count out didn't he right yeah because he ruined uh he he ruined his uh king of gate 
So at the very least, Hyo has two victories over the two Open the Dreamgate champions this year, which is mind-blowing to think about. Uh, look, I, I wrote a lot about this in my Voices of Wrestling review. I, I would recommend reading my thoughts there. I was very impressed by the energy that everybody had in this match. Uh, you know, I, I sing his praises constantly, but there was a reason that I do. I thought Jason Lee was just on another level in this match. This match had a ton of energy. Everybody played their part, but there was a noticeable change when Lee was in the ring as to just how snappy and how quick and how fluid things were. He is a marvelous professional wrestler. It's like him and Matt Seidel. I can always count on for them to play their part. Not every match is going to be great, but with Jason Lee and Matt Seidel, they bring that same calming energy where I know I am getting a world-class professional in the ring whenever they're in there. Shimizu was tremendous in this match. I thought SB Kento was great in this match. I loved everything up until the finish. It knocked it down a quarter star for me. Instead of four and a half, I'm at four and a quarter because I don't need Kai running in uh, in a match like this, especially after he was just in a no contest in the prior match. It was a, a bummer that the last two matches on the show ended the way they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my big takeaway from this match was this was King Shimizu's feats of strength day because that triple Samoan drop is one of the more insane things to consider. I mean, like, yeah, the combined weight of those guys probably is 500 pounds. So I'd imagine that Shimizu could squat that on a normal day, but just was like the way that they did it and the bounce doing that. It was just really a whole lot of fun. Yeah, the finish did come down with me. I went four flat on this and... It just was just like it hit all the notes. It was a classic four-way match. Uh, you had Hio doing the big brain dance and, and him making Susumu doing it as well. Uh, we got Daya getting insanely high up in the air in a quadruple stump puller. And it was nice seeing because this week was the first week we got to see everyone use the bequeath Yoshino moves. And that was really nice to see all throughout. And, you know, the thing with some of these matches, sometimes they drag a little bit. This one didn't at all and i thought that that was really kind of remarkable all things considered and it felt very vibrant and that was something that you know on this show that was pretty underwhelmed by it needed this match and this match certainly delivered i completely co-sign all those takes it was a very nice way to end a pretty lackluster cork and show yep yeah and that will be up on the network through the 18th we do have two shows ahead of us case this weekend they are having they're across Fukuoka double shot. It, I had it pulled up a second ago because it's not on their Facebook page. It is on the 15th. The first show will be a 1300 Japanese standard time. That is 12 a.m. on the East Coast, 9 p.m. Pacific. Opening match, Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora versus King Shimizu and UT. Jason Lee and Dragon Daya versus Ryo Saito and Problem Dragon. 10-man tag team match. Ultimo Dragon, Naruki Doi, Misaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and Sachi Okovoy versus the R.E.D. 5-some, uh, B.B. Hulk, Kaido Shida, Kai, Diamante, and Hio. We have the return of Eita as he's been cleared from COVID, uh, going, uh, teaming with SB Kento versus Bensuke in the semi-main event of the afternoon show. In the main event, Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Kakatora versus KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Ginky Horiguchi. Evening show. It is a 1700 Japanese Standard Time start, 4 a.m. for those on the East Coast, 1, p 1 a.m. for people in Pacific. Opening match, KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, UT versus Dragon Daya, or Dragon Kid, Kakatora, Kesuke Akuda, Ultima Dragon, and Satyoko Boy versus Don Fuji and Problem Dragon. 
Naruki Doi and Ryo Saito versus Kinki Horiguchi and King Shimizu. Semi main event, Yamato, Benkei, and Misaki Mochizuki versus BB Hulk, Kai, and SB Kento. So we're getting a little bit of the Dreamgate scenario playing out there. And then the main event, they're going back to the well. It is Masquerade versus R.E.D. It is Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus Eita, Kaido Ishida, Diamante, and Hio. What are you looking forward to on these shows, Case? It's hard for me to get excited about Akuda and Benkei versus Eita and SP Kento just because you and I both know that is ending in a no contest, but I do love the sound of that on paper, so my eyes go there, and then obviously main event of the night show masquerade versus red some heavy hitters in that matchup that should be a great match yeah uh it, it's something where I'm, I'm building up my expectations for a cross fukuoka showcase i do this every time but that match just does the match has not missed and i don't think it's going to miss and i'm excited to see how they're going to kind of play up the Dreamgate scenario in that same event uh the match on the opening show that i'm really stoked for is that opener um, Mino Shun versus uh, King Shimizu and UT. Like those are, you have Shimizu and UT who are my two blow away guys from this week going up against Shun Skywalker and Kota Minoru who have incredible chemistry. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff there. And we'll talk about that next week on Open the Voice Gate. Case, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I do want to end on a bit of a bummer, but uh, this broke as we were recording. Chris Hero tweeted out that uh, the man we know as real hero, Jamal Hepburn, uh, passed away over the weekend. And we would be remiss if we didn't say anything. I mean, Jamal, real hero, was the gateway for so many people. I mean, it, it for newer Dragon Gate fans, if you came on like during the network era, it is hard to explain in words just how valuable Jamal was because he was the guy that not only had all of the Dragon Gate footage, but he had all of the All Japan footage, all of the Noah footage, all of the Big Japan footage, all the DDT footage, all the Zero One footage. He is unfortunately leaving a hole in this community that I, I, I don't know how it's going to be filled because he was a one-in-a-million type of person who had seemingly dedicated his life to making Japanese wrestling more accessible. And it is a, a devastating loss for the community and a, a devastating loss for his family and his friends. And it is, it is awful to read that. And, uh, you know, this podcast, or I, I guess I should say rather the, the Western coverage of Dragon Gate would not be the same without him. So it is a terrible loss on something that I'm very sad to read. Yeah. And, and it's something that's hard to impart how, and we talked a little bit about this in the DGUSA series, just how difficult it would be for people to keep up with these, uh, Japanese promotions before the streaming networks. And if you're someone that was not clued into tape trading just because of what uh, Jam Jamal was able to do along with Ditch, being able to like be a repository and archivist and as someone who works in archiving and preservation, it's something that I find very encouraging, the fact that people were willing to do it. And it's an immeasurable hole, I feel like, within a Western fandom for just Japanese wrestling to begin with because there would not really be the amount of interest going towards like the Ustream eras and Nico Nico and then to the Dragon Gate Network if it weren't for people like Jamal doing the hard work like trying to figure out where to upload things how to uh, just propagate 
these promotions and always being able to kind of like the insane thing about it was like within it used to be like weeks or months to get shows before real hero really started and then it was something that was like soon right after airing like it was really kind of remarkable and he will be dearly missed yeah, that is a uh, unfortunately a somber way to end the show. But I, I saw that break during the show and I had to bring it up here. I think the Burning Spirits account, which I believe is run by Kevin Hare of Voices of Wrestling. I think he sums it up perfectly. He says, rest in peace, real hero, hugely important to the community. But more importantly, he was a nice guy. And those sentiments are ringing out from everybody on my Twitter feed right now. So rest in peace to real hero. Thank you for everything you gave the community over the past few years. And uh, that is that is all I have for this week on Open the Voice Gate. Yep, and that will do it. You can follow the podcast Open the Voice Gate. You can follow Case underscore in your case. And you can follow me at Fujiheya. We'll be back next week talking about the Across Fukuoka shows on Open the Voice Gate. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 